Well, hello, streaming uh, folks. We are going to be recording uh, at least four, maybe five faith debate shows tonight, and you get a pre sneak preview of these. These shows aren't going to begin airing until November, uh, no uh, November into December, but you're going to get a, uh, an early shot at them here on the video portion of what we're doing. This is our radio broadcast that airs on Sunday mornings on WFMD, so you can check that out if you want. Uh, every Sunday morning on WFMD in Frederick, Maryland, uh, at 9 o'clock, 9 to 9.30, the debate airs. So here we go. Actually, I probably shouldn't put these on until I make sure it's not going to blast my ears out of them. <laughs> made that mistake before. program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management of WFMD. Welcome to the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD on the AM at 9.30 AM, on the FM at 99.9 HD2, and on the internet, and I just lost, that's weird, is that not playing anymore? That's odd. I mean, I hear me, so everything's fine. But I did not fade out that music. The music just stopped for no apparent reason. Why did that happen? I'm curious. There it is again, magically reappeared. I don't know. That, that's, that's really odd. We're under satanic attack. They're trying to stop the faith debate. <laughs> They've thrown their best at us, and they can't stop this show. We've been doing it for 18 years. Actually, uh, as we hear the show now... We just passed our 18th year, and I realized I was thinking about this. The faith debate has never really recognized or celebrated in any way any of the benchmark shows. So even though we've done way more than this, today we're celebrating our 100th show. We've done way more than 100 shows, but we're celebrating our 100th show today. Uh, I'm Troy Skinner, a longtime host of the Faith Debate, also the pastor of the Household of Faith in Christ. You can uh, find my church and all of my social media and connections to everything that I do. It's kind of a one-stop shop at householdoffaithinchrist.com. Joining the studio this week, as is per usual, Imran Razvi, uh, founder of Conquered by Love Ministries, online at conqueredbylove.org. He's also a house church pastor in the Thurmont area. And uh, back for another go-round, not too long ago, we had Steve Yerger on the show. He's with the Shabbat Gathering in southern uh, Pennsylvania, and kind of not too far away from uh, Gettysburg. And I can't remember exactly, we're talking about family matters, I think, and things like that last time you were on. And coming out of that show, Steve said, you know, I, I would love to talk about a few things. And he suggested some topics, and we're going to be tackling some of those uh, over the next couple of weeks, beginning this week. And chief among them, as you can imagine, he's got a congregation that's called the Shabbat Gathering. So they're all about the Sabbath, you know, meeting and worshiping on Saturday. As it turns out, the Razvi Church also uh, gathers on Saturday. And as it turns out, Household of Faith in Christ worships on Saturday. David Forsey, who's normally a part of this panel, uh, his church meets on Sunday. Uh, and I've pastored churches that, that uh, meet on Sunday. In fact, uh, right now, the last couple of years, is the first time I've ever uh, been pastoring, a, shepherding a flock where we met on Saturday. So I'm going to throw it to you guys first because I'm not sure exactly where, I, I think I know what the conviction is, but I'm not sure what the source of the conviction or the strength of the conviction is, so I'd be curious to see. You guys meet on Saturday because, in your view, that's, it is the Sabbath and that's when you should meet. Is that is that? Well, the Sabbath is a day of rest. So it, it doesn't say that uh, you should worship on the Sabbath. You worship every day. But I, for me, it's clear that the Sabbath is 
had been given by God to us as a day of rest, that we should observe it. It was there from the very beginning, and it's also there in Revelations, so it hasn't gone away. And when I became a Christian uh, a long time ago, I was maybe a little bit naive. I decided to believe the entire Bible. I didn't just decide to be, believe the New Testament. I decided to believe the whole Bible. And as I grew closer to God, I, I started you know, questioning traditions, questioning what uh, the cultural churches do, and, and again, trying to find what God wants for us. And so there's, there's many different things that brought me to move um, my belief that Sunday is the Sabbath to Saturday is the Sabbath. You know, we've often heard that, hey, so one person holds one day holy, another person another day holy, and things like that. But I couldn't really find anything in the Bible, in Scripture, that stated that the Sabbath, the day of rest, was now going to be Sunday instead of Saturday. So that's where I come from. So let's uh, talk about, what, Steve, where do you want to start? Well, I was brought up uh, for many, many years and taught that the Sabbath was on Sunday. Uh, from as little as I remember, from different church congregations, different places that we lived in different parts of the country, and the local church we would go to, that was the conviction. That was the, the day of rest, was Sunday. And as my wife and I started looking at, as as we said, the whole Word of God, I started looking at the... Uh, Seven days of creation, you know, day one, day two, day three, consequently all the way to day seven. And God says that on the seventh day he rested. And it's not like God needs to rest, but God was giving us a prophetic shadow picture of him ceasing from his works. So when Jesus was on the earth, he said, follow me. You know, do as I do. I do nothing except what my father tells me or what is made known by my father. So, consequently, if you follow Jesus' life, he celebrated the Shabbat on the seventh day. That's the seventh day of creation, the seventh day, the day of rest. Jesus also said he was the Lord of the Sabbath. So, basically, Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath means that he's the one who interprets it. If we're going to look to any interpretation of man, any interpretation of the commentators or the theologians, go look at Jesus' life. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He kept the Sabbath. Jesus said, follow me. Okay, so the early church followed him. The 12 disciples followed him. They kept the Shabbat on Saturday. After Jesus died and rose again, the early church kept the Sabbath. So... We have a very strong historical footprint. So, Steve, when did Sabbath. it change? When did it go from Friday night to Saturday night as a Sabbath to Sunday, daytime? Okay, there's, that's a good question. The Catholic Church, in their writings, basically said that they are officially changing the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. And the reason they did that was because if you keep Sunday their Sabbath, you are actually under the covering and the authority of the Catholic Church when you go to church on Sunday, according to the Catholic writings. Um, but also, there was um, a gentleman uh, in, born around 1880 AD, and his name was Marcion. And Marcion was a gentleman that uh, uh, really promoted teachings that the Sabbath was done away with. 
Yeah, in a couple of weeks we're going to actually talk more specifically about Marcionism, yeah. and uh, so I mean, alluding to him now in this context is totally fine. But it's obviously the the heresy of Marcionism goes way beyond the Correct. confines of uh, what they should be worshipped. Uh, in fairness, I mean, the, the the idea of the faith of H over the years is to try to provide a, you know a, a robust dialogue where different perspectives have a fair hearing. We're not able to do that super well today because there's at least four, maybe five significant views on the Sabbath that are out there. And there's only three of us. We're not going to represent all of them anyway, even if we each had a different view. Uh, but in fairness, I want to try to at least touch on some of those. So one of the views would be, you know, we have complete freedom from any and all sort of legalistic requirement uh, in Christ. And so the Sabbath is Sabbath schmabbath. doesn't matter when we meet, if we meet. I don't need to gather and, and have a day of rest. I don't need to gather and worship. I don't need to do anything because I can get what I want on my own, on my own schedule, my own time. Nobody in this room advocates for that, and I'd be willing to bet that everybody in this room would speak sharply against that. It's not biblical, and you are in disobedience to your Lord and Savior. He's not only your Savior, he's your Lord. And so there are some things we are expected to do to honor, not to earn our salvation, but to honor his name and to be good examples for uh, other believers and for the world that is, has a watching eye on us to be a good witness around us. So that's not going to get a lot of attention other than the last 60 seconds that I gave to it. Uh, another one would be, well, we have great flexibility. So, and a lot of church, a lot, there are some noteworthy examples of churches that they might have uh, some sort of a gathering on Sunday um, and they might even call that uh, a Sabbath in some regards. But a lot of them they would call uh, that just an evangelistic day. It's a work day for the church, if you will. They have a gathering and all the people are there to witness to the lost who are coming to hear what Christianity is all about is the idea. And then they would have some other day in the week, like a Wednesday or whatever day, where they gather and they treat that as kind of their holy day during the week. Uh, I'm not a big advocate of that necessarily either, but I will say that functionally there are some pastors that will treat Monday as their personal uh, day of rest because they're, Sunday is a really, really hard work day for them. And so Monday they're kind of catching their breath before they get back into the sermon prep and, and, and all those sorts of things. So all of those aside, uh, let's go back to the uh, what most people uh, – you, listener, hearing this show right now, you might be heading to church right now, and you're thinking in terms of you're going to church because today is the Sabbath day, and that's what Christians do. It's now on the first day of the week. And so if David Forsey were here, I'm trying to think of the kinds of things David would say to advocate his position, because I think that he would hold the view that Sunday is a special day that, and that his family, I believe, treats Sunday as their day of rest as a family. And I think that he would say that uh, in response, so now we're going to have some dialogue here again. In, in response to what you said, Steve, about, well, follow the example of Jesus, I think that those that advocate for a change to the first day of the week from the last day of the week would say that, well, of course Jesus uh, went to synagogue and had his Sabbath on the last day of the week. He hadn't died and resurrected yet. And so, and that's the point when things from a first day of the week, Sabbatarian, they would say that's the point when it changed. And then they would use some, some writings from, the, uh, from the, uh, some of the Patristic Fathers, uh, from the, some of the examples. They would point to uh, the opening of the book of Revelation, and John says that he, uh, on, the, on the Lord's day he was taken up in the Spirit. And they, they refer to that in their way of thinking as, well, the Lord's day was Sunday, and so that's an example from Scripture that it changed. By the way, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of 
using that part of Revelation that way. But that's part of their argument. So what mm -hmm. do we say? And I'm not, even, I'm not even on your page, by the way, so I'll give you what my view is in a second. But you know, what would you guys say to, to that sort of a retort? I would like to read uh, two scriptures. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and he took it down and wrapped it in linen cloth and laid him in the tomb and cut into the rock where no one had lain. And it was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come to him out of Galilee followed, and they saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared the spices and the perfumes, and on the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment. So here we have a direct time shot of history and context of the Sabbath day mentioned right after they were at the tomb. And this is after Jesus. We're not sure if he's risen yet or if it's still in between those three days. But here we have an understanding of believers that follow Jesus keeping the commandment. Okay, what about the people that will point to what uh, Paul uh, writes in Romans chapter 14 about no day? I think you might have even alluded to this yeah. earlier, Emron, so, about, you know, no day is different than another day, that kind of thing. So that was, you know, talking about holy days, and that's fine. The, the thing is, in the very beginning, in Genesis, you, you begin with the Sabbath, and in Revelation, you end with the Sabbath. So Sabbath is there throughout. You can have holy days, you can have special days, you can have this or that, but that doesn't change what God decreed, because one, God doesn't change. If he wanted it to be the first day, he would have made it the first day, and because that's when Jesus was going to rise. He, he knew that, right? He knew exactly when Jesus was going to die and rise, so he could have easily made the Sabbath the first day and said, hey, I first rested, and then I created. No, he didn't do that. He made a plan, and he set it in place, because he knew exactly what his plan was. So, as far as I understand, God does not change. And those that say God changes is directly contradictory to the Bible, where the Bible is very clear that God does not change the same today, yesterday, and forever. And so, people that say, well, once Jesus rose, that now became the Sabbath. No, it became the day that Jesus rose. It didn't become the Sabbath. The Sabbath is still the Sabbath. And, but, yeah, you can call it the Lord's Day, the day that uh, Jesus rose. That's another day, a special day, but it's not the Sabbath. Right. But, well, God doesn't change. But, again, I'm, I'm trying to Absolutely. play the role of David Forsey if he were here a little bit, and I hope I'm doing an okay job because there's part of me that's very uh, agreeable to what David would say, even though it's not my view. Uh, I pastored in that context for a long time, and so I, I, you, know, you learn what the arguments are because people ask you, why do we meet on Sunday and not on Saturday? Why do we treat Sunday as our day of rest and not Saturday? And Well, this is what the tradition teaches, and this is how we understand Scripture and that sort of thing. Uh, I think it's possible that somebody who's uh, pro the first day of the week is now the day as opposed to the seventh day of, of the week is the day would, might say in response to what you said, well, God doesn't change. But he reveals things differently over time. God's outside of time, and so therefore he doesn't change. He doesn't, isn't changed by time. But he works inside of time. Uh, for example, the people, uh, his chosen people, those that were his covenant people, were marked physically by the circumcision once upon a time. And now we're told in the New Testament very explicitly that that's no longer a requirement. Well, God didn't change, but the requirement in time upon his people changed. So couldn't the same thing be said for the day of the week upon which we would worship? particularly if the seventh day was, was leading to the promise of the first day, which would probably be a broader application of what the first day advocates would say. Well, appreciating uh, 
how we've been taught for many, many years, myself included, um, as I started testing the teaching of the first day of the week being the Sabbath day, I came across a scripture in Deuteronomy 4 that says, You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you or take away from it, that you keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. Now, again, God says he changes not. So we have to follow an example. Jesus himself even said, I have come to do what was written of me. If he deviated from that, he would be stepping outside what he was called to do. He was to be the spotless lamb of God, sinless. At any point in time, if he would have deviated from that, what was written of him in the scriptures, he would be missing the mark. Then he would no longer be a spotless lamb. Then he would not be able to qualify to be our savior to take away the sins of the whole world. See, he had to walk this walk that was, uh, and it was known of exactly, he says, I know what I'm supposed to do. I've heard from my father. My father's told me, you know, and so there's really, uh, we have to look at the consistency of Jesus's walk and compare our view with what, how he, what he said, how he walked, what was important to him. Then you can start comparing when tradition of man or tradition of uh, religion or different things that have been added or taken away over the over the millennia, uh, sometimes we have to get back to the simplicity yeah, but in, of Christ. In fairness to those that would disagree with the, the, the position you're advocating, I, on their behalf, haven't quoted a tradition of man. I've pointed to Romans chapter 14. I've pointed to uh, Revelation chapter 1. Uh, I've pointed to the example of uh, circumcision in the Old Testament, not in the New Testament. I've been, I've been using on purpose, scriptural arguments, because those are the arguments we should be making. What do we do, for example, with the uh, Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, where they have a chance to hold people to particular rules and regulations that would have been part of the uh, uh, Judaic law, and they pare it down to basically, um, going off on the top of my head here, but they pare it down to avoid uh, eating food, sacrifice to idols, avoid blood, uh, and uh, basically try to live a good life. But there's some other path. But there's no mention of the Sabbath there at all. There's no mention of, of a whole bunch of, the, of the, the Jewish law there. It's almost as if it's abrogated in, in some sense. So what do we, what, how do we handle that in this context, and with regard to the Sabbath? Again, Romans 14, one person regards the day above another. Another regards the day every day alike. Each person must fully convinced in his own mind whether he observes the day for the Lord and who he eats. This is something that's called observance. This is not looking at the command which the Lord has made. This is talking in context about if you decide you're going to fast on a particular day, if you're going to worship or honor God and, and, and do a special offering, you know, you have that ability to do that, but at the same time, in the Greek, that word day is hemera. It's, it's not Sabbath. It just says day. So people infer that and say it's the Sabbath day. So you might want to have to look at context and culture and see how that's actually... Um, it's tangential, used. but it might be related a little bit to this. I don't want to go off on a huge rabbit trail. And uh, I don't know. Emron and I have known each other for a while. I don't know his view on this. And I only met you this year, Steve, so I don't know your view at all on this. 
How do you guys uh, view the festival days? Feast of Tabernacles and Feast of Weeks, things like things like that. Do you guys feel like Christians should be observing those days, or that that's not something that's for the church? That was something specific to the Old Testament times. So that's that's actually probably topic for another whole another show because that goes off topic of Sabbath. So I think we should definitely address that. My thing is, first of all, um, and I, I, we will answer. I think we should discuss it on, on another okay. topic, but another week. What I'm concerned is. Many of the people that I grew up with or in the church after I became a Christian, um, they, they said Sunday's a day of worship. But not almost nobody really kept it as a Sabbath. So first we had to find what is Sabbath. Sabbath to me, from my studies and my learning, is a day of rest. So I, let's say it's Sunday. Let's say the church says it's Sunday. Sunday's a Sabbath now. So do people actually rest on Sunday? No. They... they go to their own pleasures, they watch the football game, they uh, do lots of different things, sports and activities. They're not resting, nobody's resting. In fact, that was when, when I first started, um, God started moving in my heart towards keeping the Sabbath. I was trying to keep Sunday as the Sabbath, and we started resting on a Sunday, and say, hey, this is our Sabbath, we're going to rest. Uh, yes, the church says Sunday is the Sabbath, we do that. So that's the first step. And so on Sundays, we would not do anything, we'd not do sports, we would not go watch sports, we would be at home and fellowship and worship God and, and talk about uh, his word and we did that for a while and then God moved in me and said okay so when did he say that the day of rest that he gave us that one of the ten commandments is no longer there it's, it's a Sunday now he never said that so I looked throughout did a lot of study that you know went through you know my favorite Google Google search uh, everything and study that and I couldn't find anywhere that was definitive that God said the day changed Sunday. I saw people said that, I, but I never saw the biblical thing. And when you compare different things like circumcision, we're not talking about circumcision. Circumcision also was not one of the Ten Commandments. The, keeping the Sabbath is a, one of the Ten Commandments. So one of my friends said, hey, are you a Nine Commandment person or a Ten Commandment person? I said, yeah. what do you mean by that? They said, well, do you keep all Ten Commandments? I said, yeah. He said, no, you don't. You're not keeping the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the last day of the week. After a full day, a full week, you rest on the Sabbath. That's what God teaches. He never changed that. So why are you a nine commandment Christian? So that's really where I came from, you know, all the way over to being a new Christian, not really knowing what I'm doing, to following what the church says and, and meeting on Sundays, and, try, and then from there trying to keep Sunday as a holy and separate and special and, and restful day, to... Why am I doing that? God didn't command me to rest on Sunday. He commanded me to rest on Saturday. Within the context of the commandments and what you said earlier, Steve, about the example of Jesus and he had to live a sin sinless life and he recognized the seventh day, not the first day, as the day of rest. Uh, so is it your view that the Christians and the churches that are uh, having their wor not only their worship on Sunday but are, are calling their people to recognize Sunday as the day of rest, as uh, functionally as a Sabbath, uh, are, are they in sin? I would say yes. Um, and that, you will get a lot of hate mail, a lot of people angry with me. And But I think we have to stand up for what the Bible says. And that's what God has brought to my heart, that I believe that it is, it is a sin not to keep the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is on Saturday. Now, if you say, hey, Sabbath is on Sunday, or it's on Tuesday, or it's on Wednesday, I'd challenge you to say, where does God say it is that day? And if it is, convince me. I'm happy to change because if you can convince me through the Bible, through God's Word, I'm very open. I want to follow God's commands because 
what God says is that following His command is not going to save you because obviously He didn't save anybody. Jesus saves. But if you love Him, if He saved you and you love Him in return, for then you would follow His commands. And His commands are very clear. It's not just follow one command or follow the New Testament commands. or It says follow my commandments. My commandments means the whole Bible. So I am desperately, honestly, every day trying to find what I'm not following, what I should be following, and trying to change. And the the church has done a abysmal job in teaching me what are God's commands. All they've taught me in church, really, is, hey, God forgives all your sins, and you're okay. You can do whatever you want. You're forgiven. You go to heaven. That doesn't have any meat. It doesn't have any 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 structure. It's just, hey, you're all forgiven. Just so long as you you say the repent, uh, repenting prayer, and you're okay. Well, I'm going to have to uh, start to draw this episode to a close. We, obviously, I didn't even have a chance to share oh, with any specificity my view. And I know you guys are chomping at the bit to hear my view. Of course you are. Everybody wants to know what I think. Yeah. Well, my microphone doesn't want to know what I think right now. It's not cooperating. There we go. So we'll do that next week. And then maybe we'll transition into some broader uh, Marcionism uh, stuff because it, is, it came up this week. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. And if you have other thoughts that uh, you didn't get to share this week, we can carry them over and talk about them next week. So it'll be kind of a, a two-part bridge here. So a little teaser. Next week you'll hear my view for what it's worth. And then we'll go from there. So this is the faith of Imran Razvi, uh, founder of Conquered by Love Ministries, online at Conquered by love.org. Uh, the Shabbat gathering uh, is, uh, is blessed uh, by uh, leadership, among others, uh, from uh, Stephen Yerger. He's, he's part of a, a team of leaders there. I'm Troy Skinner, pastor of Household of Faith in Christ, and you can find us on, online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from right now, God bless. Good job, brother. Oh, sorry. on that the entire time. That what, what, were you, what, what is that? It's uh, oils that they put scent in the air. I didn't even smell it. I was smelling the entire time. I was like, oh man, this is... I, I didn't smell it either. I, I have some pretty sensitive allergies, but obviously whatever that is isn't one of them. Yeah. They force you to. As soon as he comes in, he's like, oh, I can't stand that smell. And he takes it out. Normally he does it, but uh, I was sitting here like, why didn't I do that? Good wrap-up there. Well, the thing is, you know, I, I thought you, you, you brought it condensed, because really that's the heart of what we're trying to communicate. And, and Troy cornered me into not either being a politician or not being a politician. I chose not to be a politician. And I said, yes, it is a sin. As a politician, would have not been cornered into a... Yeah, no, well, I mean, <laughs> to be honest, I mean, it, it was all but said. I was like, okay, you might as well just put a finer point on that. <laughs> Because you were hinting at it by saying, well, Jesus was sinless and he did this. And so basically the implication there is, well, if you don't do that, then you're sinning. But you didn't say it. And then when you, and I was going to kind of not push it. And then when you said basically the same thing in different words, I was like, all right, now we got to say it. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> now the listener's like, right. Troy, are you going to ask him? Are you going to ask him? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, we're going to be going, what? What did they say? What? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I, I got into a debate with this with the, my son-in-law's father. Uh, you, you know the supposal acts at all? I don't think so, no. Yeah, he's, he was a pastor of a church for a while, and, and now he's going to another church. But, um, yeah, he, he, he knew that my belief on uh, keeping the Sabbath, and he said, so, you know, if you believe this, the Sabbath is, if you're not keeping the Sabbath, you're sinning, then uh, 
why aren't you rebuking me as a brother in Christ? And I said, wow, you know, you have a point. <laughs> but at the same time, I think God leads his people in different times, different places. And I can tell you what I believe and why I believe it. And if you love the Lord, you're going to find out for yourself. You're going to go search it out. I was going to just go to First John because First John does say, it says, you are in sin. He says, I have not written a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. I mean, First John just, he, he nails it. And if you go through First John, I mean, he, he says, what is sin? It's lawlessness. What's lawlessness? Breaking the commandments of God. So I would direct people to First John and say, see what he has to say. Yeah, well, you can bring that up at the start yeah, if you want, because we're, yeah. we're, we're bridging. And, so and, be honest, and I have heard, you know, people have, well, some people over the years have learned that with this show, we record on a similar theme or a similar, it used to be the same panel and one topic, and now it's, uh, you know, the same recurring panel with similar topics in one, like, recording sessions. People realize, oh, they seem to do, like, the same three, four, five shows in a row on something the same. And there are a lot of people that will listen to the show, you know, in succession on podcast. So for them, it's going to feel like, oh, one show oh, ended. One continuous we thing to the next. Yeah. So you can do this on a podcast, so I can send people yeah. to... And then the, the obviously the, the, the video stream is is all encompassing as well. So can and we, that's still now, too. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's still yeah. there. So can we start with... Um, I'll start with you wanted to say what you wanted to say, and then I'll share my view, and no, then we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. Start this way, and then go there. Start this way. I said, in the last show, we ended with Imran Razvi saying that not keeping the Sabbath on Saturday is a sin. So what do we mean by that? And then go to Steve. Okay. That'll work. Everybody know how crazy I am. The following program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management. And it might not even reflect the views of you, the listener. Because I got to tell you, it was shocking. Earth-shattering. Walls were shaking. Earth was quaking. Imran Razvi called you a sinner, my friend, if you're on your way to church and celebrating today as, recognizing today as the Sabbath. Because towards the end of last week's show, Imran Razvi, I asked him a point blank. I said, so people that don't have the Sabbath be the seventh day of the week, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, but instead they say that Sunday is the Sabbath day. Are they sinning? And he said, yes. <laughs> so... And then the show had to end. So uh, we're picking up on that uh, note this week. And uh, chomping at the bit to share a, a bit of scripture at the time was Stephen Yerger. And so we're going to let him do that in just a second. But let me share with you what's going on. You are listening to Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. I am Troy Skinner, a longtime host of this show and also the pastor of Household of Faith in Christ online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. Imran Razvi, you just heard his voice a second ago. He's the founder of Conquered by Love Ministries. They have a website, conqueredbylove.org. And we're joined this week, as we were last week, by Stephen Yerger. Uh, he's part of a congregation, part of the leadership of the congregation that meets and calls themselves the Shabbat Gathering, and they meet in southern Pennsylvania. Imran's church is in the Thurmont area, and I'm, uh, I'm in the Frederick City area. And I did my best to try to represent uh, the, the views of those that aren't represented in this room last week. You know, if you don't like the way I represented you or you don't like the way I'm going to represent you this week, send your hate mail to Imran. And if you don't like what he said about you being a sinner, definitely send your hate mail to Imran. So, uh, Stephen, what did you, uh, what were you chomping at the bit last week to share about uh, people not meeting or worshiping? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Recognizing the Sabbath day being the seventh day, but instead the first day. They're in sin, and you agree with Imran because of why? Well, in First John, 
2, verse 7, it says, Beloved, I am not writing you a new commandment to you, but I am writing an old commandment which you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. So, again, First John is pretty clear on the definition of sin. Uh, the definition of sin is lawlessness. And lawlessness is breaking the law, breaking the commandment. So, I think we have something that we have to kind of look at here and say, hmm, uh, this is the Word of God's definition, and that might be a little difficult to swallow because traditionally, culturally, historically, we've been told Shabbat's on Sunday. There's worship on the Sabbath. So, I... At the very end of last week's show, I teased the fact that I was going to share my view because we talked for 25 minutes last week on the various views of the Sabbath. We condensed it, I think, reasonably well, but uh, we covered all the views except mine. <laughs> and so I'm going to share my view now, which uh, as, as strong a view you guys hold, and as strong a view as David Forsey might hold for, if he were here to defend himself, uh, I think you guys don't have a view that's strong enough. And the reason I say that is in the spirit of what Jesus says regarding all the other commandments in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and in light of how I understand how to read Hebrews chapter 4, um, and based upon the connection between what happens in Genesis and what happens in Revelation, uh, I think that, so let me set it up this way. Everybody's going to agree that if I go sleep around with somebody I'm not married to, that I'm guilty of adultery, and uh, that's a sin. Unless you do it on Sunday, it's okay. And, Je <laughs> and Jesus says, if you've had, you know, if you've had uh, fantasy thoughts along those lines in your personal thought life, you've committed adultery in your heart. So he doesn't get rid of the law. He expounds upon the fullness of what the law really means. And he does that with every example he gives. You've heard it written this, but I'm here to tell you it's way more than you even thought possible. If we apply that to the Sabbath, which is also one of the commandments, and we look at what God does on the seventh day, he rested for the seventh day, and we are to enter into that Sabbath, and we will enter into that perfect Sabbath in glory in Revelation. And my view of how uh, the scripture outlines the timing of things there's already an inbreaking of that future glory now. There's an overlap of the age. So we are a new creation, yet we still wrestle against sin. Right? We are now saved, and yet we await our full salvation. You know, there, so there's this overlap of the ages. And with that in view, I think to pick any one day as the day that should be our day of rest is, I think, missing the point. I think the Christian should be treating every single day as a Sabbath day. And that doesn't mean you don't work, because you can do good work. You should do good work on the Sabbath. So the Christian should be doing nothing but good work, God-honoring work, worshipful work, praying without ceasing seven days a week. So I think that that's a, a broader application of what the Sabbath should be. Now, practically speaking, does that mean that people shouldn't take a day a week and say, you know what, I've got to recharge the batteries, it's good, smart, and right to... To, to take a break, to rest, to cool my heels for a stretch, I think that's totally fine. But to get dogmatic about a particular day, I think, is missing the point. So that's what I would take you to point on this uh, issue. There is a prophetic shadow picture consistently through the scriptures. The seventh day 
that we keep every week shows the seventh millennium. It shows the thousand-year reign of Christ. It shows where Jesus says the government's on his shoulders, and he's ruling and reigning. If you take the Sabbath day and meld it with any ever day, then you destroy the picture that I believe the Father is trying to show us with the consistency of the scriptures. I disagree I, completely. I, I appreciate your heart, but I think... Jesus that, is Lord this, now. He is Lord he's now. He's King of Kings now. But he's not... There's a lot of people that are not following him here on the earth. There's coming a time when he will have... That's why he has the rod of iron, because there's the, the nations are going to follow him, and there's not going to be a lot of rebellion in the thousand years. But right now we have rebellion, we have sin, we have murder, we have war, we have disease, we have sickness, we have all kinds of things. And that shows that the prince of this world has still been given authority, limited authority, to do what he is doing. But there's coming a time when God himself is going to put an end to all that. It's just a point that why the Sabbath needs to be honored above all other days so that you don't destroy so I think we're in the millennium right now. So that, okay, so okay. With, with that view, that would okay. That's cool. Then that that, uh, that I, removes the thrust of your argument to, to me anyway, because I'm I'm millennial in my in oh, cool, gotcha. That's probably going to be another podcast. Yeah. So <laughs> so anyway, so that's why, I, uh, you know, it's not that that's uh, why uh, I I hold the Sabbath view that I do, but that's why that sort of an argument doesn't bear any weight. I'm like, it's all the more reason to support. My view, but my view is I'm, I'm trying to argue and grapple with Scripture, and if I apply the same standard to the commandments that Jesus does throughout the Sermon on the Mount to the Sabbath, what's the implication? And I feel like it's not smaller; it's not the same as it always was in the Old Testament. It's bigger than that. It's more expansive than that. And so, and then again, Hebrews chapter four is admittedly a difficult passage, a difficult chapter to to navigate. It, it's it, 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 it's tough sledding. Uh, and so I'm not saying I've got it nailed down completely, but my understanding of Hebrews chapter 4 uh, reinforces the idea that we are to um, treat every day as the Sabbath because we've entered into a Sabbath rest even now because our high priest is reigning even now. Um, so anyway, so... He's in heaven, but he's not ruling on earth. He's ruling in heaven, making intercession for us always, for us that we're, you know, as his sheep and his people. But there's coming a time when the new Jerusalem is going to come down on the earth. It says, you know, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. That, that is the prophetic fulfillment of that when... Well, he is the ruler even now. It's just that everybody now is, is abiding by his rule. But, yes. Right? That, well, there's, there's, there's a lot of difficulty uh, to see where that is. Right now, it seems like his rulership's within the heart of the believer. In other words, you know... Not even perfectly there, though. Right? That, well, that's why you get to the point when you're... When I can't speak for you two, but I sinned today. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know? Seriously. Uh, of course. That's why we have him ever see, ever right? making intercession for us. You know, Thank so, God for Jesus, right? So, Jesus is Lord over my life, and yet I'm not fully obedient to him. Jesus is Lord over every government on this planet, but they're not obedient to him. I mean, they should be. That's what Romans chapter 13 says. They should be. They should do what he says, but they don't. And when they don't, we as the people of God need to hold him account and call them to God's standard because he is Lord of Lord, King of Kings. 
I would argue even now. So anyway, that's the, the Sabbath thing. We can get into the... And we've done, in the years of doing this show, trust me, we've done countless shows on end times views and that sort of thing. Uh, in fact, we did one not that long ago. You just weren't part of it. Uh, I don't think you were part of it either, Imran. No, I think Daniels, we, yeah, I was not. Yeah, so maybe we'll do it again with, with uh, a different... Because uh, people are interested in it. I've, I, uh, I'm now uh, posting the Faith Debate shows in a, on a platform, Sermon Audio. Uh, so you can check that out. You can link to it through our website, householdoffaithinchrist.com, and go to Sermon Audio that way. Or you can just go straight to sermonaudio.com and search for Household of Faith in Christ. And all the Faith Debate shows are being loaded there. I put one new one up every day until I get all 18 years' worth up there. So it's going to be a little while. <laughs> but anyway, there's, you know... Two, three hundred of them up there right now, and I've noticed something that's interesting because I get real good metrics, you know, data analysis of the stuff. Things that focus on evangelism get a lot of downloads, and things that focus on end time stuff get a lot of downloads. Yeah. More than anything else, those two are leading the way. So that said, uh, let me reset. We're almost halfway through this episode, not quite, but I'll, I'll reset. So I'm Troy Skinner, Imran Razvi, and uh, the last guy you, you, I think you heard interacting with me was Stephen Yerger, and we're here talking about the Sabbath broadly, but now we're shifting into something that came up last week, uh, and that's Martianism, a, a, a gross heresy uh, from like 100 years after Jesus. It didn't take long for this gross heresy to, to emerge. And last time when we had uh, Stephen uh, on for a series of, of shows a couple months ago, I think you were on, and uh, afterwards you suggested, hey, there's this thing and this other thing. I mean, you mentioned three, four, five different things that might be good show topics, and one of them was Martianism. And it might have been because of the Sabbath connection. Mm -hmm. Yes. But he also said some things about uh, you know, an anti-Hebraic uh, roots move in the church. I think that was a phrase that you used. I, I made notes. And, and therefore being some sort of antagonism. Uh, uh, antagonism between a uh, law and grace. Mm -hmm. So maybe we can talk about it in that context. What were you meaning for us to cover? Like, what, what do you think the great threat of Martianism is today in the church? Good question. Martianism is basically a second, second century heretic named Marcion. And he had a real antagonistic view towards one, the Jews, two, the Sabbath, Three, the law. Four, the Old Testament. He felt that... Most of the New Testament, too, by the way. Correct. <laughs> he actually wrote a Bible that started out with pretty much Paul's letters, and the first book to lead the way was Galatians. So... Yeah, not even all of Paul's letters. It was like ten of them. Correct. And... and it, not all the Gospels. Isn't that amazing? I think, I think, I'm going off my memory here, but I think he only accepted one gospel, the gospel of Luke, because of Luke's connection to Paul. And even that, I don't think, I think he excised huge portions of the gospel of Luke. So the guy's a rank heretic. <laughs> but anyway. Well, Jerome, other early church fathers called him out, said he was the wolf, a heretic. And uh, he really influenced a large part of the church world uh, then. And unfortunately, his writing survived. And Augustine, Luther, Calvin, a lot of these reformers, they picked up his writings and basically... Actually, just real quick as a point, because the gotcha police, I've had to deal with them for years. Uh, 
I think I could be wrong. You might be right, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that the the way we should say that is that none of his writings survived, but there are citations of his writings among other church fathers that have survived, and so that's how we can piece together what he thought and what he wrote. But I don't think there's any actual work of Marcion that is that has made it has, has survived till today. If I stand corrected, then you can send your gotcha police mail to me. I, I can do that. But uh, I can do that. No I, problem. I, but just, uh, but just the point case. is, the damage is done. The damage is done, and um, so he, you know, the God of the Old Testament, the demagogue, the God that, you know, killed people and was evil. Yeah, and the demiurge, I think he yes. called it, right? The demiurge. And then the God of the New Testament is the God of love. And uh, you can see how this has rippled down through the ages, and even in, in our modern theological thinking, I mean, we have Schofield, and we have uh, early church, um, not early church, I'm just thinking about the uh, uh, theologians that really had an influence on early seminaries. Uh, Schofield, you know, really talked a lot about dispensationalism. And if you look at these teachings and you understand what Marcionism and what he's about, you can see how Marcionism traveled all the way through the centuries and I think that's why today we have such an antagonism between law and grace. There's so much grace in the Old Testament if you know where to find it. How many times did God said, Moses, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to blast these people. And yet Moses falls on his face and intercedes for the people being like a type of Christ. And, you know, the wrath to not destroy the people. I mean, it's just, it's an amazing thing to see how um, mercy and grace and you know, what's, what's the law say? Jesus said the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In this, you fulfill all the law and the prophets. Now, we've already dropped some, some names and phrases that uh, the, the casual observer might be a little bit lost in the weeds on. So just in fairness, I'm going to do what I can to very neat, as quickly and neatly as I can try to knit some things together. So... The, the demiurge idea, it, it ties back to Greek philosophical uh, categories. Uh, uh, Plato was a big advocate of the demiurge idea. And if I, I'm not 100%, it's been a long time since I've been in seminary classes, but my recollection is that demiurge, the, the, a, a near approximation anyway, in a translation into English of what that word means is architect. So it's the idea that there's, there's the God, who's the God of love, which is what Steve was just talking about, and this God of love has a lesser God, a, a, a created being, a created God, the Demiurge, who is commissioned to be the architect. According to one line of thought, another line of thought is he wasn't commissioned at all, and he created everything without permission. <laughs> but regardless, there's this architect who, who created everything, but that creator God isn't the ultimate God. And so Martian tying into all these Platonic and Greek philosophical categories and stuff, it led him to then want to reject all of these things because, well, the Old Testament's talking about what this architect, this lesser God did, and he was a bad God. He's not even the true God. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he introduces us to, through the, Paul, the writings of the Apostle Paul, who the true God really is, and so that's where we should center. So he, he jettisons... We have six, well, Protestants hold to 66 uh, books of the Bible, and Marcion had maybe a dozen. I mean, I mean, like, he got rid of almost everything. 
And so, so anyway, that's the demiurge and trying to flesh out some of the Marcion ideas uh, as best as we can. You mentioned the, the uh, Schofield, S.I. Schofield. He's famous for his Schofield reference Bible back in the 1800s. Uh, he was a student of, uh, of Darby. Was it Francis Darby? Mm -hmm. Francis Darby. Uh, Francis Darby, uh, uh, one of the early proponents of, uh, I'm not sure it was called dispensationalism then, but it certainly came to be called dispensationalism. And uh, Schofield's reference Bible became a very preferred Bible among uh, evangelicals, conservative Bible believers, and so it's had a huge impact on the American church over the last, you know, 100 plus years. So. Are you familiar with that um, one of the things that Schofield did was they donated uh, a lot of his Bible, Schofield Bible, Bible notes to a lot of the seminaries of the day. And that's part of the planting of the dispensational thought and putting it into uh, Okay, so those are the, so now you can tell the players with the scorecard a little bit, but I wanted to clarify, so are you making a connection between Martianism and Schofield and dispensationalism? Are you saying dispensationalism has been negatively affected by Martian's thinking? Yes, I think dispensationalism is Marcionism in modern day language. It's, it's a theological uh, expose. Hmm. Okay, not that it's going to matter, but it might help me to lead the discussion uh, more efficiently. Would you, are you, do you consider yourself historic pre-mill, post-mill? Like, what would be your, your, your view on that? Well, I'm because, not a pre-mill. So you're not like a, a pre-trib, pre-mill, no. like, because that's kind of more the dispensational systems of right. eschatology. Right. Okay. I believe we're going to go through the tribulation, if that answers right. your question. Right, Okay. Okay. Yeah, we, I think we both believe that we're going to go through the tribulation, that we are protected from God's wrath, but we will see the destruction around us, just like uh, the Goshen was protected from God's wrath. They still had some of the plagues, but uh, then God's wrath was uh, averted from them. I think the same thing's going to happen to us, and then after that, when Jesus comes back, then he'll rule for a millennium here on earth uh, as, the, as the rightful judge of the earth. So that's where. Okay. We yeah, that, it's my. I got to sidetrack a little because I want to stay focused on the. the but that is, that is helpful, uh, and hopefully it's helpful to the listener as well. So I, I already used this phrase about being anti-Hebraic roots in the church. So what are examples that you're seeing in the church today where they're anti-Hebraic well, okay. roots? If you obviously we talked about the Sabbath, so you would say that's one. Right. Okay. What are some other ones? To give clarity. Uh, Marcion wanted to, to divide from anything that was Jewish, okay? Uh, Marcion wanted to divide from the, from the Sabbath and, of course, the, the Hebraic Scriptures. So when I use the term in context Hebraic Scriptures, I'm just talking about the whole Word of God, the whole Old Testament, okay? Right. The whole the Old Testament, Genesis 1 to Malachi 4. Uh, the entire Tanakh, I, I think. is Exactly. Right. So... You know, there's a saying that the Old Testament is a shadow of the New. It's it's basically revelation. If you want to understand what's going to happen at the end of the book, you need to read the front of the book. And it's it's really our history, our heritage of a people of God. Paul spends three good chapters in Romans, Romans 9, Romans 10, and 11, about how we as believers, Gentile and Jewish, we were all grafted into the nation of Israel. So if you take the time and go through Romans 11, 
it will give you a good, accurate um, theological position of just who we are in Christ and who we are in the uh, kingdom of God as it is defined in the scriptures. Let me ask you this. A, a while back, and I was only reminded of because uh, I've been uploading all of these uh, shows onto Sermon Audio, and so I've been able to listen to some segments of old shows and refresh with my memory of things like a trip down memory lane. And i got to say, if I do say so, some of the shows we've done over the years have been pretty darn good and compelling. Sadly, some of the shows we've done have been pretty awful, too. So <laughs> it's hit or miss. <laughs> anyway, on one of the shows, we were, it wasn't the main topic, but it came up in conversation talking about the... Uh, the uh, you know, the tradition of America, and we talk about our Judeo-Christian heritage. And it kind of struck me, and it still does bug me a little bit, what do we mean by the Hebraic, or the, the, the Judeo, rather, the Judeo-Christian heritage, the Judeo, the true Judeo heritage, the old, is the Christian heritage. So why can't we just say Christian heritage? Is that example of what you're talking about? Like, somebody who says that, saying, look, the Old Testament, that's not really Christian, but we're going to include the Judeo part as part of our culture here. Is that part of what you're saying, like trying to get distance ourselves from the, the Judaism of the past? Well, we're not Judaism. And it's, if you look clearly how Jesus, how the apostles, I mean, Jesus talked about keeping his commandments, following him. And we have a whole history of the Old Testament of a people, a nation, a language. And there's promises to Abraham. And I think, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, as God's referring to his conversation with, with Abraham. So there's a lot of things that, you know, we inherit our blessings in our Judeo-Christian faith. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but, um, you know, there's a, there's an aspect that is, um, there's a lot of heritage there. I, I don't have a little bit of a loss for words, but there's, the Old Testament is something that is got a lot of history. Well, I think one of the main thing is Judeo-Christian. You can't have Christian without Judeo. Without the Old right, Testament, so I there think is no Christ. So it's redundant in a sense. Right, it right. is, but that's the foundation. So to me... Well, Christian is the foundation. Because the, the parts of the Judeo that are uh, applicable are part of the Christian heritage as well. It just feels redundant. By the way, we're going to have to finish up and carry this thought over because we've, uh, we've only got like less than 60 seconds left. So I just rudely cut off Imran Razvi. He's with uh, Conquered by Love Ministries. Conqueredbylove.org is the website. Uh, Stephen Yerger is with the uh, Shabbat Gathering up in Southern PA. I'm Troy Skinner, pastor of Household of Faith in Christ online, online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. Of course, you can follow the show and everything we do with the radio station at wfmd.com as well. Till next week, 167 and a half hours from right now. God bless. You do that so well. I've been gone for 18 years. <laughs> What's that? You do it so well. Intro and exit. And I don't even do it anywhere near as well as I would like. I used to be very proficient at it. I'm now kind of okay. But I used to be on the radio six days a week. <laughs> Once upon a time. And Not uh, here, though, right? So No. I, was, I, I, I actually was, uh, I, I did sports radio well, back in the day. And I was actually on a, uh, on a small 
relatively small sports network. I was heard on 18 radio stations across the southeast. Cool. And you have, and in a network, you have hit, hit the post. You have hard network breaks, and so you get a lot of practice at talking up to the post. Not a second short, not a second long. Like you got to hit it, and you got to hit it multiple times a day, coming in and out of phone calls and, and all that sort of stuff. And you got callers that sometimes get a long-winded, and you got to try to control it and hedge it in so you can hit your mark and all that sort of stuff. And so I got to be really, really good at that uh, part of the job. And uh, I still can fall back on that, but I'm not anywhere near as good at it as I used to be. Don't need to be. That's right. That's true. So are you hinting towards anti-Semitism or hinting towards the lack of, you know... What, what with the uh, Judeo-Christian? Christian? I don't... None of the uh, ideologies, philosophies, theologies that were driving the... Uh, the uh, the founders of this country, the framers of the Constitution, were merely Jewish. No, I don't think a lot of them were not Jewish. Right? Yeah, it was Christian. It was Christian. Yeah. yeah. So why do we say Judeo? Why do we not just say we a Christian from, we heritage? We pulled from England, and we pulled from the Magna Carta, and we pulled from... Yeah, but that was common law, which is also rooted yeah. in... But it was all rooted in the, the, the Torah, reason, though. The reason we say Judeo-Christian... Yeah, but the Torah is our scripture, too. Yeah. That's that's the thing I'm getting at. Yeah, and that's why I was, I was wondering if you were going there because I'm actually agreeing with you. I was like, yeah, like where? Oh, Judeo's something different. No, Judeo's our heritage too. Right. I thought <laughs> you were going towards Judaism as the Jewish religion, and in going. Jew most modern Christians discount anything Jewish. Right. In fact, my son-in-law's father, who's a pastor, he's, if it even hints at being Jewish, he is against it. And so he was, can't even visit my house on Saturday because somebody might think that he's keeping the Sabbath. See, now, keep the Sabbath. see okay, is that something you were going about to say? Or yeah. as an example, you know, when you use your family, you can just say, you know, no, I don't mind generically speaking. This is, this is who I am. I mean, people know who I am. If they hate me, they hate me. I'm, I'm doing it because I love God. So let me, uh, what day so, of, what, which, what's, do you know what the date of Thanksgiving is this year? 24th. So this next show is going to air Thanksgiving weekend. So it actually ties in with the theme a little bit about our heritage and all that sort of stuff. So that, that'll work. So you brought your, when you were talking about the, uh, uh, some really good shows listening to and some mm -hmm. really bad shows, and I was kind of like, is this a really good show or is this a really bad show? <laughs> yeah, sometimes, <laughs> so I was just wondering why you brought it up. No one for five years later. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's hard to tell in the moment. If the show is, I mean, sometimes you can tell. Some dog, some shows are just dogs. Yeah, they're just, yeah. It's everybody's fault. The show's it's over, and you're like, oh my gosh, that was just a waste of airtime. Like, I don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, I think time's going pretty fast here. Just, to, you know, we'll see what the what the people think and yeah. any comments. And, yeah. you know, again, I think it's a it's a real stab at the, the stomach of some people when they say, hey, you guys are saying I'm sinning because I'm not keeping the Sabbath on Saturday. What does that mean? I think we're going to get a lot of. I don't know why my mouth is very dry, so I'm going to go fill this up with water real quick. Yeah, I mean, Did you know he was a post? He, yeah, he believes we're in the, in the millennium now, which I actually cannot understand. Because Take the, the lion the, and the cobra the and the kid. The amount of evil there is. I, I, I dress that kind of. Yeah. So, but on most things, we're in agreement. Because, again, he loves the Lord, and he's there. It's just this is where he believes, and... You know what? Okay. And uh, I'm not trying to different. There's lots of things that I believe are probably wrong. I'm waiting for God to reveal them to me and move. 
Well, I, I'm glad how you centered it back to the Sabbath, but the Feast of the Lord, they're not the Feast of the Jews. A lot of people believe they're the Feast of the Jews, but they're really the Feast of the Lord. So we as Christians can keep them too. Yeah. All right, so let's just dive Is Thanksgiving one of the feasts? It's my feast. I love it. <laughs> I sleep well after it. Oh, my. <laughs> I, I love Thanksgiving. It's... The following program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management of WFMD. The longer I do this show, the more convinced I am how true that is. This is the Faith Debate on News Radio 930 WFMD. We're on the FM also at 99.9. HD2, if you go to the, just the regular 99.9, you'll hear a bunch of country music. And if you want to really aggravate a country music fan, tell them that they're listening to country and western music. Like, no, 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 not western. Country music. <laughs> roots music. Americana music. We're talking about roots a little bit here on the show today. Um, what's all this nonsense I'm talking about? I'm Troy Skinner, the, uh, the host of the Faith Debate and the pastor of Household of Faith in Christ. We have a website, householdoffaithinchrist.com. You can learn all about the church. You can actually connect to the show through that website as well. And you can connect to all of my social media and pastor blogs and sermons. And I mean, anything and everything that I have to do that has anything at all to do with the church, religion, or social media, it's a one-stop shop. There it is. Uh, you can also, I don't think it's a one-stop shop, but there's also a really good website you can check out that Imran Razvi is a part of. He founded with his wife an organization uh, about, I don't know, 20-plus years ago, I think, called Conquered by Love. Their website is conqueredbylove.org. They have a lot of resources there for, uh, for family and child-rearing and marriage and, uh, and things like that. And they've been on the speaker's tour over the years, and so maybe you can book them for, a, for, a, for some speechifying. And uh, Stephen Yerger is also on the show for uh, round three of this uh, set of shows that you did four or five shows with us a couple months back as well and uh, he's with a, a congregation that meets in southern Pennsylvania not too far away from Gettysburg called the Shabbat Gathering and we've been talking well we, two weeks ago we talked about the Sabbath and then we kind of bridged from the Sabbath we finished up our talk about the Sabbath last week and if you're uh, treating today Sunday as the Sabbath and Imran Razi wants you to know that you are in sin and need to repent uh, he's on record. He can't take it back now from two weeks ago. Not that he would want to, probably. I don't think he's, he's a man of conviction. He believes what he says. Um, doesn't mean he's right. You're free to disagree with Imran. As, as he would might say, you're free to be wrong. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, and then we start talking about uh, Marcionism, uh, a heresy from uh, a long, 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 long time ago, like right after the start of the church, like within a couple of generations of the church being founded, boom, there's this huge heresy with this, this crazy guy who's trying to get rid of the Old Testament and, and, and it's anti-anything Jewish and that sort of thing. And we even talk about how that maybe is even still evident. Maybe they're not walking around saying, hey, I'm a devotee of Marcion. That's not what's going on, but maybe some of the ideas and leanings have infected us in ways that we're not aware. And Imran, you were sharing in between shows, I don't know if you want to share it now, about how it in a personal way, can have actually have an impact. Well, one of the things, let's go back to, you know, when you asked me, is it a sin? And, yes, if I believe it's a sin, just like the Bible says, you know, some some can eat the, the meat of that uh, sacrifice to idols, and, and sometimes you shouldn't, especially if it's going to be for the weaker brother. So what I mean by that, God has convicted me that the Sabbath is a holy day that we're supposed to keep. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It is in the beginning, it's in the end. And once you recognize that's what it is, and you don't keep it, you're sinning. 
Now, if you don't recognize that that's Sabbath, God is wa- you're walking with God, and God's <coughs> going to walk with you and, and hopefully convict you of what he wants you to be at, what, at whatever time. So I'm not here to sit there and, and judge and say, hey, you're going to hell because you're sinning on this. I'm sinning on lots, <coughs> lots of things, as we've discussed many times. We are sinners. We're kind of in conflict with our um, saved status that we're still in this earth and still subject to sin. So that aside, um, when you know, I my son-in-law's uh, f- family believes that really anything Jewish is uh, taking away from Christ because Christ is uh, our Savior, and if you go back to anything Jewish, you're actually taking away from that. And I disagree with that, but one of the things is I get along with him very well. Uh, and what I've told people is, look, if we're all the same, then iron can't sharpen iron. Iron only sharpens iron because it has friction. You have to have friction in order to be able to... Um, defend your views and search the Bible out and say, hey, this is why I believe something, and maybe you'll change. Maybe God will convict you of something. So he he firmly believes that anything that even uh, remotely, again, that's my interpretation. He'd have to defend himself in, in some time, but that uh, points to Jewish law and Jewish tradition is a antithetical to Christian uh, belief in, and, life, in, and life. So he would not even you know, just come to visit our house on Saturday because somebody might think that he is celebrating the Sabbath with us on Saturday. So his conviction is that that would be wrong and it would undermine what Christ did for us. And I understand where he's coming from. Um, I disagree with him, but that's okay. We should be able to disagree and still love each other and say, hey, let's investigate and you prove your point and I'll prove my point and let's go to the Bible. I wonder what somebody like that does with all of the quotations and the allusions to the Old Testament and the Hebrew scriptures, if you will, in the New Testament. You can't properly understand the book of Revelation without having a deep understanding of what the Old Testament has to say. And it doesn't make a lick of sense, which is maybe a part of why there's so much controversy and confusion about the book of Revelation. So it looks like uh, Stephen is itching to say something. He's got, I think, a scripture open or something. Well, I just want to sum over in First John, first chapter, verse 7, it says... You know, walking in the light, as he walked in the light, we have fellowship with one another, I'm paraphrasing, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So, you know, the statement was made, you know, if we're not keeping the Sabbath, are we in sin? Well, how many other things that could we possibly be doing that could be sin? It's missing the mark, it's lawlessness, but at the same time, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, so that we can be forgiven of our sin but like Jesus said to the woman that was caught in adultery, where are thine accusers? And she said, no man, Lord. He says, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. Um, so we, we, we have the ability and the grace of God through the blood of Christ to cleanse and to be made right. But it's just, you know, Part of what the law or the Torah does for us is it's like the school teacher that leads us to Christ. It shows us where we're out of the way and what the remedies are. So this can be a very complicated discussion because we have been taught so many things over the centuries. And we're just wanting to go, as Imran says to me a lot, let's just take the whole Bible Let's look at it in context, let's look at it culturally, and let it speak to us, and try to do the best you can with God's help. 
and walking with a group of men and women and families that have that same heart and to be able to just hold one another accountable and in a, in a very godly, uh, kind way uh, that's welcomed, mutually uh, brought on to where you can, uh, work, you know, work out community. Yeah, the thing is, if I say something that uh, irritates you, that uh, makes you angry or, or mad, maybe that's God's word convicting you, and you should do your research. Prove your point, okay? If I say something that you think is totally offbeat, totally wrong, then go to the Bible and prove your point to yourself. Uh, you don't have to prove my point. You don't have to fight with me, but, you know, fight with the idea. But use the Bible to fight the idea. Don't use man to, well, so-and-so said this, and so, no, no, go back to the Bible. Find it in the Bible. Use the Bible to prove your point, and then you will feel much better about it, and you may, you may not come to the same conclusion that I did. That's Okay. But my the purpose of, of us doing this is really to help sharpen you to go back to Scripture. Use the Scripture to solidify your point and be sure what you're standing on. Because I know I'm doing things wrong today that I, I will hopefully God will teach me and I'll learn and I'll change and I'll move in the, in the right direction. And I'm hoping to learn something new every day. I'm hoping to go, get closer to God every day. Something that might be uh, good, it looks like Steve wants to say something, so you can... You can say what you want to say, and then maybe if you also want to re re uh, add a remark about this or not, because I think I want to clarify in between shows, from last week's show to this week's show, that we were trying to clarify things among ourselves to make sure, like, what are you saying? Are we are we concerned about anti-Semitism? We're not saying, uh, at least I don't think, I just want to clarify, though. You know, Imran, you tell a story about somebody who says, well, if anything smacks of Judaism, well, that's somehow diminishing Christ, and I want nothing to do with it. That's not the same as saying they're anti-Semitic, right? It's, right? It has to do with the theology and the understanding of how things work together in God's uh, economy uh, over time. And it's not the same as hating a Jewish person. It's just saying that the, 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 the Jewish practices or the Jewish teachings or requirements or whatever are now no longer required for the Christian. He's making a sharp mistake. So I want to, in case anybody was confused after last week's show, like, he's talking somehow about anti the thought never entered my mind last week, actually, and it wouldn't have entered my mind this week either, except now it's in my head from last show. And when Imran said what he says, I'll make sure people understand that you're not saying that somebody in your extended family is anti-Semitic. That's not the point you're making at all. No, that's not the point I'm making, but because of the contamination of Nazism in, in, in the modern church and, and things, it can lead to anti-Semitism, and that's what many people that are anti-Semitic have used to really proclaim anti-Semitism. So I'm not, I'm not speaking to those that are, are anti-Semitic. That's wrong. I, I think if you judge anybody by you know anything that that was out of their control, whether skin or the, the color of their skin or the color of their eyes or the shape of their nose or the or their Jewish heritage, I think that's wrong. People are people, individually judged, and and, and so forth. But I think that teaching of uh, has contaminated the, the church, and people have used that to become anti-Semitic and use those reasons to do so. Yes. Uh... That is the problem, is that Marcionism, I believe, leads to anti-Semitism, but it leads to kind of like through the back door. And nobody would ever think of wanting to participate in sending any of the Jews to the Holocaust, to the camps, to the, to the ovens. Nobody knowingly would do that on the front end. But on the back end, Marcionism actually embeds that spirit and actually... Uh, Hitler used the writings of early church fathers taken out of context and used it to persuade the 
German church to, hey, you got to submit. This is why we're doing it. Here's the scriptures to say why. And they also used Romans 13, uh, that you got to follow your government. Um, out of context. As I say, misused Romans right, 13. Out of context. <laughs> uh, right. Thank you for the clarification. So I, <laughs> I wanted to dive back to, you know, uh, here in Matthew 5, uh, here's a very interesting set of scripture that, you know, Jesus says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Fully preach, fully have an example, my paraphrase. And, you know, if Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, then he's the one who interprets. He did by his life and his walk. For Now I'm continuing with the scripture. For truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. When whoever and then annuls one of these least commandments and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, there's a lot there, and there's a lot to unpack. But basically, you know, here is Jesus himself saying right, but that... But Steve, what would you say to those that say, well... Everything was accomplished in, in Christ's death and resurrection. So now it's been accomplished. Okay. I would go, let's say, if everything has been accomplished, have we seen the millennium yet? Have we seen well, the Troy return says of Christ? We're in the millennium. Well, seen the millennium. okay, go to Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30 says that God will circumcise their hearts, bring them from the four corners of the earth, and bring them back into their land. That is before they go into the land before Joshua takes over. Moses is giving the rendition at the last on telling them the history. So here is a foreshadow, a prophetic shadow picture of what's going to happen in the latter days here in the Torah. So that hasn't happened yet from the four corners of the earth all the way back to their land and circumcising their heart. Because Jesus said in Matthew 24, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he, who comes in the name of the Lord. So that hasn't happened yet. So there's things that have not been fulfilled. Well, many people think that it happened in 70 AD when uh, Israel was destroyed, Jerusalem was destroyed, that all those things in tribulation happened then. Well, that was in a very localized area. When you see the context of Matthew 24, you have, you know, the sun not shining, every eye will see him, you're going to see all kinds of cataclysmic earth-shaking events that are targeted more than just around Jerusalem. And I would also argue that uh, Revelation was written kind of after 70 AD, about five or seven years after that. So and they couldn't be fulfilled before, the re before Revelation was done. Well, there's, there's debate on that, though. Yeah. It's a, there's a minority view, but the, it's, it's a compelling argument that uh, the book of Revelation was written in the late 60s. Right. Okay. R.C. Sproul, I think, held to that view, actually. That's another show. So, <laughs> yeah, so. And That's then, how to get out of answering anything. And then the 8070 question also, you know, uh, that, Imran raised that up, and it does um, help to answer. If you hold to AD 70, the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, as a fulfillment, like uh, Imran was probably maybe playfully asking, but uh, seriously, it can be asked, uh, that helps to answer the question when Jesus says a generation will not pass before. 
know, he would come in judgment. And so, uh, before you see me again. So, what, what, what does that mean? And some say, well, he came in AD 70, was, which was, you know, almost exactly the end of a, a generation kind of a thing. So, uh, we're, we're getting a little bit off. I, I think yeah. the point that you might have been trying to make with the, 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 the quote from Matthew 5 and the, and the law and the need for still having a, a high regard for the law is maybe, practically speaking, talking about what's going on in the world today with easy believism, right? There's this, uh, there's this, this false dichotomy between law and grace. And so I'm in, I'm in Jesus. I can do what I want. I mean, Paul speaks directly against that, <laughs> right? that you can't just do whatever you want, uh, so Should I go law, on to sin all, all the more? No, God forbid, right? If so, the law is done away with, then does that mean I can murder? I can practice uh, all kinds of sexual uh, deviant sins? Does that mean I can steal? Does that mean that... Uh, well, those who disagree with your view, many of them might say yes. And that's, I think, your point, is like that leads to all sorts of problems. But they're going to say yes, I have freedom in Christ. But then Paul said, "Do we will grace abound? By sinning, he says, "God forbid." I'm and not arguing. I'm not agreeing with them. Correct. But you hear these arguments. Yeah, and I think those people are going to be very, very disappointed when God says, "Get away from me! I did not know you," because they did all sorts of things in God's name, but they did not understand what God's. Heart and this was. might be a good point to interject. Really, what a, a, a gospel-focused understanding of the law is. So, there is a law, and we've all broken it. And so we all stand guilty, and that's why there's a necessity of Christ to pay the penalty for the, the sins that we've committed. They are on his back. And so we're set free from the shackles of the law in order that we can then obey the law, not as slaves to the law, but as slaves to Christ, who out of humble obedience wanted to elevate his name, magnify his glory, treat him as Lord, do what he says, do what he commands. We're not eternally condemned by, uh, um, by, by the, the strictures of the law as a Christian anymore because all those condemnations fall on Christ. But out of gratitude for that fact, we want to obey the law, not as a way of working our way to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. Uh, Christ worked our way to heaven, if you will. Right? We are saved by works. Christ's works. <laughs> you know? um, and so... That's, I think, what's, what sometimes gets lost. The Christian says, oh, well, Christ fulfilled the law. I'm no longer a slave to the law. That's true, but that's only half of the equation. The other part has to be there, too, which is now out of humble obedience, we want to go and sin no more. As Razvi said, we want to do what the book says. Paul said the, the law of sin and death, that's what Jesus did away with. But we still have the law of righteousness. We have the law of love. And if you test, like Rasby said, go to the scriptures and test and see if what we're saying is so. And if not, then call us out or, you know. But the main thing is is not to just go by what other people say, other preachers say, other theologians say. say, or even what we say. Go to the Word of God and find out for yourself. Because in the day of judgment, when we all stand before that great white throne, there's not going to be anyone between us, and we will have, you know, we're either in Christ or we're going to be without Christ. And that's a place you do not want to be at. And that's where, on this side of the grave, if you're searching, if you're hungry, if you're really sitting here listening to this broadcast, 
think about what how God's been dealing and his love and his care and uh, you know today is the day of salvation part of the discussion that I hear on occasion from people that ties into what we're talking about here today uh, I, I don't hear it as much and this is actually the point I want to make is this idea of well you know the Old Testament that's not really relevant anymore because Christ came and so it's I'm a New Testament Christian. You know, it's all about the New Testament. I don't really hear that discussion about, oh, do away with the Old Testament, I embrace the New Testament. I think the challenge we're facing now is we have people that would profess to be followers of Christ. They claim to be Christians. And they don't abide by either Testament. So, you know, we've only got a couple of minutes, but if you wanted to give, uh, you know, a, full, uh, uh, a full-throated pitch, elevator speech for the value of the Scriptures, the entirety of the Scriptures, you would say what? I would say that this is a false gospel of that being saved is free. It's not free. It costs Christ his life and pain and suffering and death. And because of that, if you accept it, then you're obligated to love him. And if you don't, then there's no fruit in you. Then you are not saved. And you know what? You may need to really go back in the Bible and find out, are you really saved? Because if you are not showing any fruit, if you are not, and the fruit is really, if somebody looks at you and says, oh, this person's different. He's a Christian. If they can't say that, if they can't prove that you're a Christian, there's something wrong. Find out what it is. Go back to the Bible. Yeah. Stephen, in, the last, in the last days, Jesus said, lawlessness will abound. And I think we can all agree that that is happening across all spectrums. And uh, he said, this is going to happen before I come back. So you might want to make that assessment and maybe see time might be shorter than you think. Yeah, lawlessness is definitely abounding these days. Uh, I don't think anybody who's paying any attention at all could, could disagree with that. Uh, it used to be, not that long ago, when I started doing this show, a lot of the times the focus would be on you know pastors who, um, you know, they would focus all their preaching, all their Sunday school teaching, all their Bible study groups and stuff were focused on books of the the New Testament, and they, and they weren't paying, giving enough credence to the Old Testament. Part of it is because of things we've talked about, not having a high regard for it. Part of it was, I think, an ignorance. Uh, people didn't, the pastors even, didn't know enough about the Old Testament to teach it well, so that's part of it. But now what we're having going on is we have uh, some of the biggest churches in the country don't preach either Testament. What are they preaching? You know, well, the prosperity gospel, yeah, self-help. You know, pull yourself up by your bootstrapism. You can you do know. this. You don't need God. God's there, but you can do it because God allows you to do it. But no, it's not you. It's God doing it. And then people become a law unto themselves. And if you're a law merely unto yourself, well, then that basically is lawlessness because we're in no position to create these laws. And so that's part of the, the challenge and the, the trouble that we have. So I think what we're going to do, one of the notes I had, I'm not sure how it's connected, but it must be connected because in the, the thread of uh, texts that Stephen and I sent back and forth a while ago, in the mix of all this talk about Marcionism and the Sabbath and the, the Hebrew roots of the church and the law and grace antagonism, the Old Testament, New Testament, part of what came up was something to do with replacement theology. I'm not exactly sure what you might want to say, but I have lots of thoughts about replacement theology. So I think next week we'll talk about that, at least generally speaking. Also, we missed an opportunity this week to, to make a huge point about how our roots, in a, as a Judeo-Christian roots and all that sort of stuff, connected this weekend. Thanksgiving weekend is when this show is airing. Um, and as a kid, 
not having any theological reason for it, but as a kid, my favorite holiday of the year was Thanksgiving. And it was, I think, because it was about most of the right things. It was about faith. We're going to try to do one more. Oh, it says Steve, Ted Needs is watching. I'm not sure if he's still watching. If you are, hello, Ted. We got to get you on one of these shows. Ted's a very well-informed Christian who's not, a, not afraid to, uh, to share his opinion on stuff. Yeah, it's, and he's, he's right most of the time. In other words, he agrees with me most of the time. <laughs> so, who pays who to see that? <laughs> Follow the money. Yeah, so hopefully I have enough battery to squeeze one more of these on. If not, I have learned from the past. I was always afraid that if you didn't like save it when the battery died, that you lost everything. But that's oh, that's not, oh, that's is not, not the case. Apparently, it will just oh. it'll just pause in the at the moment it died. Yeah, wherever it is. So that's the end. Okay, so I'm good on that. Actually, it's cool how you welcome the differences of opinion. That's what the faith debate was really started with. We wanted to actually have a good, clear, definitive way to communicate with each other without getting upset. Right. And they've had some that people did get upset. Yeah. Only a handful of times. It's only happened, like, literally, like, three times that I can remember in 18 years, which is not bad. Wow. Um, one of them was a completely repaired breach. The person left, I mean, beat red in the face, but we've been friends since, you know, so it wasn't a permanent break. Um, <laughs> one person had a very embarrassing moment where they, they thought we were in a moment like this in between shows, but we weren't. We were actually in the middle of a show, and she decided to let uh, one of the other panelists really have it. And then she realized she was on the air. So, oh, we're still recording? Can you change it? And then afterwards she asked me if we could edit it out. And so I said, you know, I'm not here to make anybody look like an idiot or feel embarrassed by what they did. So if you really feel that strongly, I will edit it. But I want to let you know for the record. But at that point, we've been doing the show for 10, 12 years probably. So in the long-standing tradition of the show, we have never one time ever edited a show. So I'd be glad to do it for you, but it'd be precedent-setting. What'd she say? Do you feel that strongly about it? You know, you, you let me know. We, we got a couple more shows we're going to be doing, so you, you know, before it. the before the night is over, if you don't feel good about how you represented yourself, I'll figure it out. I'll edit it somehow, and then I have to figure out how to fix the show because it has to fill a time slot. I take her three minute tirade out now, I'm three minutes short. <laughs> but I said, but I'll figure it out, and so and I meant it. I, I mean, I kind of nudged her a little bit to really think about it, but I, I meant it. And she afterwards said, no, that's okay. You know, if I can't stand behind what I said, you know, off the air, on the air, I, I shouldn't have said it, so that's fine. Good for her. And so she did, but she left her kind of embarrassed. And there was a guy who was an author of a book called uh, Thank God for Evolution, and he got rather testy and argumentative. <laughs> and actually, there was one... He writes a book like that, he should be. And there was one time when uh, John Schweitzer <laughs> actually got a little bit testy with uh, the Flat Earth guy. But that show never aired because uh, uh, we were on his podcast. I actually, I actually listened to that. Oh, when we were doing the, uh, I, you know, because I the was explanation of the first, show. Yeah, I just I was like, let's be here, and I'm drawing through, and I go, flat Earth. And I'm like, what? And so, yeah, that was kind of. Where did you say that? Because it was on this podcast. No, no, you guys were being interviewed by somebody else. Yeah, so right? what you heard was the after show, basically. So we did the show with the guy. Oh. Okay. We were going to be on his podcast, and so. He was recording his podcast. I was just going to take his podcast and edit it for our purposes on the show because his podcast was like two hours long. And so I said, I'll just take his audio and, and 
converted into the faith debate kind of thing somehow. Because I was concerned that the topic wasn't going to lend itself to theology questions anyway. So I was curious. I was like, yeah, that's fine. We'll record it, and I'll take the theological elements and put them into the faith debate. Anyway, the discussion did not go all that well. John Schweitzer got very frustrated, lost his temper a little bit. Uh, and so afterwards, John asked me, he said, do we really have to use that? Do we have to air it at all? Because I don't really feel proud about how I handled myself at all. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to have to edit it anyway. So I'll be judicious about handling it so that I don't make you look like an idiot or any more of an idiot than you usually do, John. I like <laughs> to play with him all the time. And uh, he laughed and said, okay, well, as it turns out, the podcast guy never pressed record. So we did or, two hours and it or, never recorded. Or, yeah, maybe he was embarrassed by how he got just – he couldn't answer any of our questions. Not one. So we then did a show talking about that experience. This is probably That's what you what heard. heard. Yes. Yeah, that was. Uh... <laughs> Talk to any artillery man, and you can you'll be convinced that uh, the Earth is not flat. Let's see. And yet, my son-in-law's family believes in flat Earth. Well, I think that's a big hook of meat on a hook. That is that the same guy that's anti? Really? Well, maybe it's all. Combined, right? If you don't have a full biblical worldview, you're going to go all over the place. Well, but see, the thing, it's all about conspiracy. In other words, how you were deceived about this and deceived about that. And believe it or not, some people, when they come to the whole word of God and how they were lied to because of, you know, all the different things that are going yeah. on, then somebody will tag this one in and say, well, you were lied to about this, too. And they in dovetail it all into it. And in today's environment, it's probably going like wildfire, right? Because we're is. being lied about everything by everybody all the time. And, you know, it's from, a distraction from, if anything else. From anybody's perspective, the world is flat. <coughs> you can't see that right, on the side. Right. So it's perspectively, yes, it is flat. <laughs> all right. So we'll do replacement theology next. All right. I think this is our fourth show. And then we, if we have a fifth show in us, we'll do another one. And if we, don't, if we feel like we don't have enough to talk about, we can just end on, on four. It'll be harder for us maybe to get all the way through the holidays if we don't do a fifth show today. But that doesn't mean we have to force something that we don't feel like okay. we want to talk about. So we'll figure it out. Let's do replacement theology. That kind of dovetails into Marcionism as well. They take that as a foundation and then move in. And pre-trib rapture, definitely. If we're going to do a fifth show and we don't have another topic that strikes us and you guys are up to doing one, we the next show after this one will air on the second Sunday in December, so we'll be in Advent season, so we could do a... Christmas themed kind of a show, maybe not not necessarily debate oriented, but you know we can do maybe the last Christmas you have before the world ends. <laughs> uh, bah humbug! <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I've I've I've, uh, I've been all over the map on my views about how to celebrate Christmas over the years. To be honest with you, so I got a lot of a lot of uh, fodder. I've been Christmas and then. Jesus' birthday is not on the 25th, yeah, it's exactly. in October, and, you know, he fulfills yeah. one of the Feasts of Tabernacles, and, you know, it's all over the I, place. I could, uh, I could talk for hours about it, but I, would, I wouldn't really engage in much of a debate on it anymore because, yeah, I, I don't have well-formulated views. I once had very well-formulated views, and I was very argumentative about it, but now I've kind of jettisoned some of those views and sort of attenuated myself, and now I'm not really sure what I think. <laughs> well, a lot of people, I mean, some of the people that I've listened to, they talk about the paganism of it and the over, you know, all that. And yeah. 
Anyway, we'll we'll see if we go there. Let me uh, let's let's do replacement theology. The following program does not necessarily reflect the views. Of Let me ask you something. Are you listening to us on AM nine thirty, or are you listening to us on FM ninety nine point nine HD two, or are you listening to us on podcast later on? Or are you listening to us on the live stream at www.wfmd.com? So many options. It's so confusing. So many places you can hear the truth. I used to say something, our introduction to the faith today used to say something like, uh, you know, more truth you'll hear uh, in a half hour than you'll hear the whole rest of the week. <laughs> or something like that. You know, we were, we were trying to be modest. Because the truth is you're going to hear twice as much truth in a half hour and you're going to hear the whole rest of the week. Are you kidding me? Particularly today when I was just saying before we started uh, today's show how everybody's lying to everybody all the time about everything. <laughs> so this is the one place where you can actually get some truth, an oasis of truth. <laughs> anyway, Imran Razvi is on the panel again this week. He's uh, You can find some stuff about him online at... Um, oh, I just slipped my head now. Conqueredbylove.org. I don't know why I have a mental block. Every once in a while I forget the name of his ministry. Concert, uh, Conquered by Love Ministries. Conqueredbylove.org is his website. Um, the Shabbat gathering uh, is represented here again today. Stephen Yerger is an elder there. And uh, Imran, of course, is uh, one of the pastors at uh, the church that meets in Imran's house in Thurmont, uh, Maryland. I'm the pastor of Household of Faith in Christ. We meet uh, in Frederick. You can find me online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. So we've kind of twisted and turned in a general sense around the connection of the Old Testament with the New and how the heresy of Marcionism has maybe still had an impact on the church even today, like 1900 years after uh, Marcion was born. Uh, things like that. We talked about the Sabbath a few weeks ago, which is all connected all into this too. And there is a another topic within that milieu that... Uh, fits that theme, but it could be a show or a string of shows all by itself, and that is the question of replacement theology. Now, this is one of the most dogged fights that you can enter into in an intramural sense in the church today. There are, there are a handful of topics that you can say that about, and this is one of them. And in my experience, one of the reasons for that is that replacement theology is so often mischaracterized. So maybe, if nothing else, this show will be an education for you to come to a true and proper understanding of what it is, what is meant by re replacement theology and what is meant by uh, those who reject replacement theology, but support something that people call replacement theology and get all that clarified. So I'm going to take a stab. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong. Generally speaking, in layman's terms, replacement theology would